We turn in God's Word this evening to the book of Joshua chapter 11. Joshua chapter 11. We'll begin reading at verse 1, Joshua chapter 11, verse 1. When Jabin, the king of Hazor, heard of this, he sent to Jobab, the king of Madon, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of Akshaph, and to the kings who were in the northern hill country and in the Arabah south of Chinneroth, and in the lowland and in Nahoth-dor on the west, to the Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number, like the sand that is on the seashore, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. For tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merom and fell upon them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel who struck them and chased them as far as great Sidon and Mizraoth, Maim, and eastward as far as the valley of Mizpah. And they struck them until he left none remaining. Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to them. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. And Joshua turned back at that time and captured Hazor, and struck its king with the sword, for Hazor formerly was the head of all those kingdoms. And they struck with the sword all who were in it, devoting them to destruction. There was none left that breathed. And he burned Hazor with fire in all the cities of those kings. And all their kings Joshua captured and struck them with the edge of the sword, devoting them to destruction, just as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded. None of the cities that stood on mounds did Israel burn except Hazor alone that Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the people of Israel took for their plunder. But every person they struck with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them. And they did not leave any who breathed. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. 
Let's fire the reading of God's Word. Once again, bow in prayer and ask for God's blessing upon it. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word, for the blessing it is to see your, your wonderful hand at work in the people of Israel. And that same way you work in our lives too and give thanks for the power and the blessing it is. And may we see that now through the preaching of the word and just bless Pastor Bob as he brings this to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And amen. This is the 12th so far in our series on creatures of the Bible. We're in the book of Joshua, the 11th chapter this evening. Probably, although we've had 12 sermons on it, probably there have been, at least as I have gone back and looked, well over 50 passages. By this time in Scripture alone, in which the creatures that God formed and made on that fifth and sixth day have had a part in the message that the Lord desired to convey. In the book of Proverbs, we read, go to the animals and they will teach you. God has left this witness as well in the world for us to observe, for us to see, for us to know that there is indeed a God. But he has also left these creatures in his word for us to draw upon, to think about, to reflect upon. What is God's point? What is God's purpose in this passage? Especially, perhaps, as we read tonight, or as I was reading, you were wondering, what does a hamstrung horse have to do with my life? What could that possibly mean to you and I? Well, hopefully this evening as we go through the passage, as we seek to understand why it is that Joshua did what he did, why it is that the Lord desired for that to be done, that we might gain a better understanding of why that action was taken and how it does indeed apply to our own lives. Because the truth be known, oftentimes we live very ineffective Christian lives. And part of the reason is we have not done that which God called Joshua to do. But we begin tonight uh, sort of having to set the stage once again. We've made quite a jump from where we were last Lord's Day evening in Numbers chapter 22, 3 and 4, now up to the book of Joshua. Israel has entered Canaan. That's probably the major thing that has taken place. Moses has died. He died on Mount Nebo. Joshua is now the leader. There has been a transition. There has been a change. You might wonder about that even as I was reading. There's a lot of, especially in this last section, the last portion, the Lord commanded Moses. Moses commanded Joshua. All that Joshua was commanded, the Lord, or Joshua did. So that which the Lord commanded Moses gets now told to Joshua. Joshua does all that Moses instructed him, thereby 
he did all that the Lord instructed him to do. There is indeed a new leader, but the leader now is also one who does all that the Lord has instructed him to do. The Jordan River, perhaps in some ways the last great physical barrier leaving uh, for the children of Israel to enter into Canaan has now been crossed, crossed in a very miraculous way. The water's backing up so that the people can walk across, not on muddy ground, even though the river has just backed up. They walk across on dry ground. Kind of interesting for us to think about that, right? Many of you perhaps did go for a little walk today. Maybe you walked around your property and you're like, man, this stuff is still soaking wet. The sun's been out a couple of days and Man, there is so much moisture in the ground. Well, imagine a riverbed. And the mud on the bottom of a riverbed. And yet this water stops the people of Israel on that same day walk across and the ground is dry. All the miracles that God performed for his people. But probably the one most significant event of all of this of Israel now being in Canaan, takes place after they cross. The covenant is now renewed. The people of Israel have been wandering for 40 years in the desert, and for 40 years they have not been permitted to show forth the sign of the covenant, circumcision. Now as they cross over, They hear again God's covenant promises. And they echo back that they will indeed follow that covenant. They will indeed be faithful to the Lord. And God allows them once again the privilege of showing forth that sign of the covenant. They are indeed now marked as the people of God. They are now shown to be the people of God. As we begin this passage, the passage starts with these words. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this. The question is, what did did Jabin, this king of Hazor, what did he hear? He heard of something. He's going to take action. But what did he hear? He heard of how God had been working and the great victories that the Israelites had achieved. The Lord had given multiple victories. It wasn't only Jericho and those walls of Jericho falling. Imagine what that means to a foreign king when this people comes trampsing into your territory to have heard what happened to Jericho, the walls just fell, and they devoted everything to destruction. Jabin, king of Hazor, heard of this. But he undoubtedly had also heard of of Ai, a small little town, just a, a, a little burg, unprotected almost, as it were, compared to Jericho. And yet when Israel goes out against them, 
AI defeats them. There, there are a number of Israelite soldiers that die in the battle. Well, we know when we read the passage early on in Joshua, it's Achan's fault. Achan had sinned. He had taken some of the stuff that was supposed to be devoted to the Lord. The Lord was not going to look past the sin of his people, even if it's simply one. After Achan is dealt with, Israel goes back and they decimate this little town of Ai. Then five kings gather together, five very powerful kings. Yet the Lord in miraculous ways, the sun holding still, hailstones that rain down from heaven, kill more soldiers than the Israelites do. Miraculous ways that God delivers. And when it's all said and done, Joshua comes back, takes the five kings, and slaughters them upon a stone. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard this. Joshua continues the route in that southern campaign, as we would call it, in that southern section of Israel, going from town to town, decimating, destroying. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard this. That's where we begin the passage. He hears of these victories. He hears what Israel is doing. He hears how the Lord is protecting and guiding these people. He hears. And so what he does is this. He gathers together a whole bunch of kings. 31 of them will be gathered. That's what's going on in this section. They're all coming together. He says, look, the mistake has been in dealing with Israel and the God of Israel. Too many have been trying it single-handedly, one nation at a time, one king at a time, or a few kings at a time. Let's all gather together. Let's all join together against the Lord. Let's all join together against this Joshua and these people of Israel. Let's bring our horses. Let's bring our chariots. We'll meet them there in the plain of the waters of Merib. This is where we are. When Jabin, king of Hazor, heard this, he sent messengers. Let's gather together. That's where the passage began. But as we read through the passage, what happens? God comes to, to Joshua, says you're going to be given victory. How did the scriptures describe this? Verse 4, they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots and all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. Then we come to verse 9. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord had said to them, he hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. So what exactly did Joshua do? He hamstrung them. What does that mean? 
means he took a knife, took a sword, perhaps, and he cut right back here in the back of a horse's leg. Not sure if it was necessary to do both or just one. Scripture doesn't deal with all of that. I, I would tend to think just the way it's written, he probably did both sides. He cut right back there. Extremely painful. Have any of you, just any of you ever pulled a hamstring? Right. Any, anybody? None? Okay. Oh, there's, there's one. Mr. Wallinga. Yeah, he tried to hide in the pictures, but he can't hide from the hamstring issue. Okay. <laughs> this evening. It hurts. It's painful. Joshua did this to all of their horses. Cut that muscle. Why? What's, what was the reason? Something that lames a horse. Something that disables the horse for the rest of its life. It's not going to heal from this. There is no recovery. There is no, well, you just sit and wait three months and the horse will be fine. Sit and wait six months, the horse will be fine. No, it is lame now. It is disabled for the rest of its existence. Is never going to be able to run again. And even its walking is going to be slow, very methodical, with great effort. Why would God do this? Joshua took this action because that's what he was told to do. God said, verse 6, you shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. So Joshua is simply doing that which the Lord told him to do. Verse 6, God gives the command. Verse 9, Joshua does that which God commands. But why? Because it makes them useless for battle. it makes them totally incapable of being used for warfare. See, the whole passage is set up that Jabin, with all of these other kings, with the great horde of men that they have, think that they have some sort of advantage because they have these chariots and because they have horses. This is what they're relying on. This is what Jabin is trusting in. Jabin is trusting his military might, his military strength to overcome the Israelites. Yet we read that God says to Joshua, don't be afraid of them. Tomorrow, tomorrow you shall. Tomorrow I am commanding you to hamstring those horses and to burn those chariots. The only way that's going to happen is if Joshua defeats them. And this is exactly what happens. 
Verse 7, so Joshua and all his warriors came suddenly against them by the waters of Merim and fell upon them. And the Lord, the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. The Lord gave them. This is the work of the Lord. This is God's hand rising up against Jabin, rising up against these other kings of the north and saying, no, I shall deliver my people. You're relying upon your military might. You're relying upon your horses, your chariots. No, no. I shall bring you down. The Lord gave them into the hand of Joshua. And Joshua did that which God commanded him to do. But why wouldn't God just say, see, Joshua, I gave you this great victory. I gave it to you. Now take those horses and use them. Take those chariots and use them. Add them into your arsenal, and the next battle you face, you'll have horses and chariots, and I'll give you the victory. Why doesn't the Lord just allow them to keep the horses? Maybe burn the chariots, but at least keep the horses. What an advantage Israel would have. And the next time they go to war, the next time they go to battle, they'd have these horses. The Lord wants to make these horses unusable for war because God is teaching them not to rely on anything else but him. Not to put their trust in anything else. Not to put their trust in horses. Not to put their trust in chariots. Not to put their trust in bows and arrows or spears or swords. Not to think at any level at all that their deliverance is going to come because of some military weapons that they have gained. Go back with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17. Book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17. Now remember, Deuteronomy is given... Before they enter Canaan. Moses gives them this law the second time. Repeats basically that which was done at Sinai. Why? Because the vast majority of these people standing there that day were either children or were not yet born when Sinai occurred. So as they're about to enter Canaan, God through Moses, gives the law once again. So this is known. By the time we get to Joshua 11, these people know. It is these people of Joshua chapter 11. It is Joshua and the soldiers that are with him. These are the people who have pledged, we will keep covenant with you, Lord. We will keep covenant with you. 
They bear in their flesh the sign of the fact that they are the Lord's people. It's a reminder of the covenant that they are in with the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and possess it, and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. You may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You shall not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only, only, he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord your God has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Now there's other stipulations that go on. There's other things that God commands the king. But the first thing he tells the king, when you get a king, never let that king And as king, you are never to acquire many horses. Why? Because horses take away your trust in the Lord. You might come to rely upon the horses rather than upon the Lord for your deliverance. Listen to how this gets borne out. Turn with me to Psalm 20. Verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. It's a great verse to memorize. It's a great verse to keep in your wallet. It's a great verse to live by. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Turn with me to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. Verse 7. Psalm 147, verse 7. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beast their food and to the young ravens that cry. He delights. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those whose hope, who hope in his steadfast love. God doesn't take delight in the armaments and the powers of this world. God's delight is those who trust him. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah. 
chapter 31. Isaiah chapter 31. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And Joshua hamstrung the horses. Why did God command it? We just read in Psalm 147 that God cares for the creatures. Why then does he hamstrung the horse? Have Joshua do this act? Because he wants his people to trust in him. That they look to him for deliverance that they look to him for their salvation. That's why I had us sing, not what my hands have done. That's not what I can do. It's not what the horse can do. See, in the Old Testament context, it's looking for that deliverance from the enemy by the horse and by the horse's strength, by the chariot's strength. Oh, we have an advantage. We don't need the Lord, you see, because we can go out to battle because we've got horses, we've got chariots. But they are not trusting in the name of the Lord. The Lord is teaching his people to rely upon him. David, Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I trust in you. Not when I am afraid, I trust my own ingenuity. Not when I am afraid, I trust my cleverness. Not when I am afraid, I, I trust my accomplishments. Not when I am afraid, I trust my skill. Not when I am afraid, I trust my sacrifices. When I am afraid, I trust in you. Okay? Joshua chapter 11. So that's what the Lord wants us to learn, right? He wants us to learn to put our complete trust in him. Yes, that's part of it. But did you notice what happened in the latter section, section that I read? Once he put his trust in the Lord, once he couldn't rely upon those horses that he had just acquired. Once he couldn't trust in those chariots, once he put his trust in the Lord, what did Joshua do? What did the rest of that section of Joshua chapter 11 tell us Joshua did? Joshua went home and planted wheat. Joshua went home and harvested grapes. Joshua went home, sat in his easy chair, watched a few TV shows. Joshua went home and read his auto magazine. Joshua went home and waxed his boat. Okay, I, I put my trust in you, God. Yep, 
See, I did exactly what you told me to do. I don't have any horses. I don't have any chariots. I trust completely in you. What did Joshua do? He went from town to town to town and destroyed them. He put them to the sword and completely destroyed every last vestige of those enemies. I'm not following you, Pastor Bob, you're thinking. Okay? When we put our trust for our salvation completely in the Lord, when we trust completely, not in the horses and chariots, okay, but in the stuff that our hands can do, when we put our trust in our own works, when we put our trust in our own standing, when we put our trust in our own knowledge, no, no, we hamstring those things. We make them ineffective. And we put our trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. What do we do then? What do we do then? Gert put it this morning in, in uh, our, our adult Sunday school class. So what? So I put my trust in God for my salvation. So what? Let me just sit in my easy chair. Wax the boat. Nothing left to do. It. Trust God. Got it all. God. No, you see, like Joshua, we need to go to battle. Like Joshua, we need to go to war. Like Joshua, we need to deal with the enemies. Our trust is in the Lord, not in that which we do. We're looking fully to him, but now we go to war and we put to death the sin that remains in our heart and in our lives. We don't sit in our easy chairs and just let sin brood and build within our lives, within our minds, and within our hearts. We go to war. We put to death the sins of the flesh. We mortify them. God has already delivered us from the condemnation of those sins. Christ has already given us the victory over all of our enemies. The Spirit now moves within us to say, go to Hazor, Joshua, and put it to the sword. That spirit now comes to our hearts, to our souls, and says, Bob, put to death now the sin in your heart. Put to death the sin in your mind. Put it to death. Put it to the sword. Put it to the word of God. Let that word of God rip into that sin. Destroy it from your life. Follow me. Go with me to Colossians 3, 5.
what is it? Yeah, I'm saved, but guess what? I still sin. A saved sinner. Yeah, that's what I am. A sinner who is saved. Paul, Colossians 3 through 5, or 3 verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to saints. He's talking to believers who are looking to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. What do you do? You go to Hazor. You go to all the towns. You put it to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is adultery or which is idolatry. Put it to death. Don't let it rise up. Kill it. Kill it with the sword of the Spirit. Now, don't be Simon, Simon Stylitus and build a pole and go live on top of a pole for 30 years of your life seeking to avoid the world. You can have just as many evil thoughts 30 feet up in the world on a pole as you can down on the ground. It isn't physical. It's the spiritual battle. Put it to death. Or go with me to Romans chapter 8, 13. So then, I'll start at verse 12, sorry. Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. No. No. Let go home. I take it easy. It's all taken care of. Jesus paid it all. Yes, Jesus paid it all, but all to him I owe. See, the lesson of a hamstrung horse is this. Look to Christ alone. And then without relying upon yourself, without relying upon your strength, but drawing from the Lord, drawing from the Word, drawing from the Spirit, put to death the hazer of your life. And you will live. You will live. It doesn't earn your salvation means you'll live in the joy, in the freedom of Christ. Live. Really live. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word. May we take this word, Father, not just chew it, but may we swallow that word, and from that word, Take the strength that the Word gives us to go out into this week 
putting to death the sin. The sin of our heart, the sin of our mind, the sin of our body. In Christ's name, for Christ's glory. And God's people say, Amen.